Hello, my name is Jess Lindley and this is Arthur's Heroes, the podcast from Arthur's Place, the magazine and social network for young adults with arthritis. You can find us at arthursplace.co.uk and follow Arthur's Place on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is supported by Novartis UK. We are grateful to Novartis for their support, but they have no influence over the content of the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arthur's Place podcast. Today we are going to be talking about careers. Successfully juggling work, personal time, a social life and family commitments can be an overwhelming concept for many young adults. But if you add managing an unpredictable chronic illness into the mix, it can often seem less about juggling and more about simply surviving. Staying on top of things at work can feel especially difficult. There's so many questions around working with arthritis, not only when entering the world of work for the first time, but throughout all stages of our working lives. Can I work from home sometimes if I need to? What will happen if I get sick? Should I tell my boss if I'm having a flare? Should I just let them wonder what's happened to me? And it's not like we can just put arthritis on sabbatical while we figure it all out either. I mean, we wonder where to even begin. My guest today is the inspirational Zoe, who has joint hypermobility syndrome and fibromyalgia. Despite having debilitating symptoms like joint pain since being a baby, multiple medical investigations undertaken throughout Zoe's life left doctors completely confused. Negative test results meant her condition kept being dismissed and labelled as growing pains. But knowing something wasn't right with her body, Zoe battled on to get to the bottom of her health concerns and after seeing a rheumatology consultant, finally received her formal diagnosis aged 21. Even with arthritis, Zoe, who's now 25, has fulfilled her ambition to be a secondary school teacher. An incredibly demanding job, especially during a pandemic. Amazingly, she has also found time to launch the new Arthur's Place book club with our Facebook social group, as well as taking up various hobbies, including ballet and acting classes. But creating a balancing act that works hasn't always been easy. Today, Zoe will share her experiences of those everyday work challenges we can all relate to, like dreading asking for time off for appointments, or worse, a hospital admission, or even just discovering that you suddenly need a fancy mouse to help you get through the day a little bit more easily. And we've all been in that situation when saying, I'm fine, and gritting your teeth while in pain is all you feel you can do at that moment in time. Zoe's been there, Plus, she's faced some of our biggest fears, like having an unsupportive employer. Somehow, she's come out the other side, wiser and better, and is here to tell us all about it. Zoe, welcome to Arthur's Heroes. Thank you for fitting us into your hectic schedule. Thank you for having me. So, my first question has to be, what is your secret? How do you fit everything in and get everything done? I don't sleep and I don't eat, no. (laughs) So I do have quite an active social life. I do have quite a very busy sort of work schedule. I just do a lot of planning and I know kind of roughly what I'm doing a week in advance. And as a result of that, I'll plan around that. Um, I also have a lot of help. So I employ a cleaner, for example, and that just buys me a couple of extra hours of relaxation time because cleaning is something that would really, really stress me out. And yeah, I just battle through and I know my limits and I know when I need to say no which is really helpful. I'm probably quite similar to you in that I have 
quite an active social life and a lot of things that I'm doing outside of work and also quite a busy job and I think I'm a bit prone to always wanting to do everything but I'm I'm equally terrified of of doing too much and letting people down and uh, burning out and and just generally using up all my time and energy so how do you avoid that? Uh, with difficulty, been there. I've been burned out. I'm currently burned out because on Sunday I got a little bit too overexcited and played on the swings. It's one of those things that I'm very aware of, and I'm very conscious when I am burned out of just retrospectively uh, being very, very careful. So this week, for example, I knew I had to go to work five days, so I just really played it back, and I just didn't kind of run around like a headless chicken. I came home early when I could, and I made sure that I just stayed on top of my sleep, and I'm going to crash on the sofa for the next three days. So I guess as it's Friday, it's only fair to ask you, how has the week been? Have you had a busy one? It's been a relatively quiet week in terms of my social life because of the weather. I live in the north and it has been somewhat rainy this week. So I've kind of got out of all of those social plans that I had that were, let's go for ice cream by the beach. Oh, it's dipping it down. Let's not do that. I mean, I dance three times a week as it is. So that keeps me busy. I work in a school. Children are unpredictable. They are delightful, but they are always joyful to be around. Um, but as a result, things can happen quite quickly. I'm very keen to hear more about that. Work and careers is one of the most important topics for the Arthur's Place community, as as you've probably realised. Yeah, It's constantly a topic of discussion in the Facebook group. And I know from personal experience in the past couple of years, what it's like to have those fears of kind of going out into the real world for the first time and having to navigate that that whole minefield that is your first job. How did you feel when you were in that position? Did you always want to be a teacher? So I didn't always want to be a teacher. When I was very, very small, I wanted to be a dentist for about two weeks. And then I realised what dentists were and I didn't want to be a dentist anymore. Um, and then I wanted to be a ballerina and that stuck. That was about 10 years I wanted to be a ballerina. And then I realised I didn't get paid very much and this was a changing moment for me. And then I wanted to be a forensic scientist for a bit. And then I realised I didn't really like blood, so we, we abandoned that. And then I saw uh, Legally Blonde and I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I went to university. And then very genuinely, I wanted a free pen from Teach First, which was my route into teaching. And basically they nagged me so much that I applied and now here we all are six years later. I mean, Teach First in itself, I've heard that it's such an intense experience and I imagine that teaching is also incredibly demanding. So what is it that appeals to you about educating young people that makes up for that? A hundred percent kids, they're so funny. The school I work in, a lot of our children come from a lot of sort of challenges and they need a lot of support and kids are just the most amazing things they're so honest there's no agenda with them if I annoy them they tell them I've annoyed them and they tell me why and I I say sorry and then we all move on and I love that I love how straight they are it sounds really cheesy but to have that impact on someone's life to be that teacher for someone for me it was my history teacher at high school and also I just think kids need to be loved they fundamentally need somebody to smile at them in the morning and let them know that we are delighted they are with us and I think it's so important to have people in the profession that are as caring as I am it's also important to have people in the profession that can do maths because I cannot do that so you know swings roundabouts I bring passion other bring people bring actual subject knowledge (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you bring that too. But 
Okay, so this is where I get my uh, my personal career advice from the podcast, so bear with me. I've been considering teacher training for probably about three years and it's getting to crunch point where I'm going to have to make a decision. But the intensity of it as a career really scares me and has made me really nervous. So was there anything about it that originally put you off because of your condition? I think I come from this in terms of quite a almost privileged position in that I've always been in pain so I I don't have like a day when like rheumatoid arthritis or osteo for example kicked in with joint hypermobility it's always been there I just wasn't diagnosed till 21 so it remains a bit of a revelation to me that people do things when they're not constantly in pain I really don't understand that because <laughs> for me if I'm in pain it's the biggest motivating factor I've always been quite a stubborn person in that I'm very much a believer in you kind of only get one life, so you have to live it regardless of your challenges. So it never really crossed my mind that I wouldn't do it because of something else. But genuinely, children want to help. They are thrilled when you stop them and hand them a massive pile of books and you're like, you, take that over there. And they just do it. So yes, it's very intense. Yes, there's a lot of physical demands. I use the resources around me. I use the students. They love to help me out. They love to do like cupboard tidies and things. So that's really, really helpful. But I'm also just very, very honest. I've been very, very honest with my employer from the first sort of day. There are some days that I cannot be the big performative teacher that they're used to. And I'm like, right, we're having a bad joint day. I'm going to sit here. We're all going to listen and we're going to have a grand old time. That's great. That's amazing that you've got that kind of relationship with them. Was there any sort of extra consideration that you that you took into account before you started or before you accepted the place? This is a really difficult question because I was accepted to teach first in my second year at uni, so I was only 19. So again, I was still kind of in this new realisation that not everybody just dislocated their shoulder when they wanted to reach things. And this is very new information to me. And so it was never really something I thought about. Probably if I was looking at a career change now, it's something I would think about. And I would probably consider sort of time off. Teaching is the best profession in the world, but it's not the healthiest in that you are sort of full pelt for seven weeks and then you have the holidays. And a lot of people think that, oh, it's lovely. You go to work at nine and you finish at half three. Um, no, that is not how it works. I live 35 minutes away from where I teach on a good run. And so I'm out of the house at seven. I'm very often not back in until sort of five past past five. So working hours will become a consideration for me as I get older. But I think I also would have thought about actually the physical demands of the job. There are days I am exhausted when I come home. But it's worth it to me. It's absolutely worth it. If you kind of got that offer when you were 19 that's before you even kind of got diagnosed so presumably you didn't seek any advice from anybody medical you just kind of took the bull by the horns and went for it I think now not maybe not necessarily medical advice I would probably speak to people who know me very well like for example I didn't realize but I will be very grumpy on a Thursday Thursday's my day and it's because I've got a full teaching day and I come home and I realize I've still got to do Friday and I'm absolutely raging about it um, and that's something that only people who know me really, really well will sort of pick up on. So I probably would have sought counsel from people that know me really well um, about whether they thought I could do it. But me being me, I probably would have done it anyway. So you said that you wanted to be a ballerina for a while. What influenced your decision to choose like a, a professional career? I don't think 
I ever really thought about anything else, if I'm honest. I'm the sort of person, work's very important to me. I'm there a lot, so it's important that I like it. And, you know, even when I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a family lawyer and I wanted to work in legal aid as it was. I've always wanted to be in a job where I help people in some way. So what do you think make starting work such a scary concept for people with arthritis, especially for young people with arthritis? Starting work for any young people is really, really intimidating. The workplace is a weird place in that you have all this etiquette that no one bothers to teach you at school. And then you get there and you'll get an email signed regards and you have no idea what this means. <laughs> I think particularly for a young person with arthritis, the nature of the illness is I, you know, typically will just dress it up and say I've got a form of arthritis. And the first instance is always, oh, you're so young to have that. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Here we are. So it's quite intimidating in that you don't have the kind of person to bounce off necessarily in the workplace. You tend to start work in a professional career and you have lots of, I mean, teaching especially, you have incredible inspirational teachers around you and they're giving you such brilliant advice and they're saying such brilliant things, but actually some of that I can't do. And for me, it was quite intimidating. They were like, oh, just do this. Like it was the easiest thing in the world. And it's like, well, actually, if I chase that child, I'll probably dislocate a hip. So we're not going to be doing that. So it's very much kind of learning how to take in the environment around you. But for me, genuinely, having arthritis was an intimidating element, but I think it's scary for anyone. So if you could go back now to before you went to get that free pen from Teach First, what advice would you give to yourself or to others who might be considering teaching as an option? I tend to have year seven tutor groups, mostly because I'm very tiny and they're smaller than me and I love it. And every year we write a letter to ourselves and we write it in September. And it very much kind of has that piece of advice that, you know, we'd like to give to ourselves. And I keep those letters and the year sevens get them back at the end of year 11 and we all laugh at how cute we were. But I open mine at the end of every year. And the three pieces of advice that have really stuck with me that I've given myself uh, were don't doubt yourself, speak up for yourself and never forget why you're here. I'm in this job for the children. I love them. They are funny. They make me laugh every single day. No two days are the same. They're very candid. They're very open. And there's a real opportunity to do something that changes a life, that impacts somebody. And even if that's one sentence, you know, the results are very quick as well with teaching. It's not kind of you're working on a project and eventually you'll see some results. We have um, in the profession, we call it light bulb moments um, when a child just gets it. And they are the most satisfying thing. I burst into tears nearly every time when it happens, which is so embarrassing. So moving to the present day, you've been a teacher for five years now. How have you coped with symptoms like pain at work? Do you do any tasks in an adapted way? You've already told us about asking children to do things for you which as someone whose colleagues never do what I want that's that's a great thing but is there anything else that you've had to kind of adapt or change in terms of practice I think I adapt things without really noticing it thinking about it the kids do most of the physical labor because I can be quite messy because I'll be tired so I'll put something down and never come back to pick it up so the children are in charge of keeping my classroom relatively tidy 
I ask for help a lot, things like making displays. Those display boards are so big and cumbersome and they have these staple guns that like rifle back into your shoulder and it's awful. Um, so I just get a lad to do that. I'm just very, very honest about what I can do and what I can't do. And my colleagues and my students, bless them, are now used to the fact that that's different on different days. I also sometimes just have a good old sit down and that's really helpful which again in teaching is something that you don't often get to have but I just find myself a comfy little chair and I sit down and we read a book and it's great. So has your job impacted you your life in in any way that surprised you? It impacts my life in every way shape and form really. It used to be a vocation and it very much is one although it's nice that it now comes with a salary. My life has now kind of broken up into chunks which I didn't expect. I was always going to be one of those teachers who managed to do it all even when it was term time and I realised very very quickly that if you make a doctor's appointment for the six weeks that you are teaching the chances are you will not want to go to that doctor's appointment because you will be very tired. So my life's very much broken up to term time and sort of holiday time. Also my awareness of other people. I'm very aware of other people and their needs and I think that's because in a classroom it's my responsibility to be aware of those. I think it's made me more empathetic, I suppose, with other people, um, which surprised me a lot. Is there anything that either you've missed out on or that having a condition like arthritis has given you a unique perspective on? Well, my first year in teaching, and I don't know who timetabled an English teacher to teach PE. I don't know, but they did. I kind of feel like I've missed out on that because then the person who did it instead of me loved it and they got to go out in the sunshine and like play cricket. So I kind of feel like I miss out on that side of school life. Sports day is my personal circle of hell. Organised fun is never fun to begin with. And then you factor in the fact that I'm outside and I'm either too hot or too cold and I can't do any of the fun things. So I just hand medals out, which is not, I mean, it's fun, but like compared to the teachers that man the climbing walls like that, no, we will not be doing that. So that's a bit sad sometimes. I'm also very, very conscious of overnight trips. I've never actually been on one, but it's something that I'm very, very aware of that I walk like a duck when I first get out of bed. And I'm not sure that my kids need to see that. But on the flip side, the relationships that I can form with my students can be really, really strong. And I I can think of now three or four students who've come to me who have experienced joint pain or experiencing what they think might be chronic pain. And it's so nice to be able to have that conversation with them one-on-one and to actually be able to provide a unique insight into that. You've said that students are very, very candid and very open and honest and you're very open and honest with them. Have any of them ever asked you any questions about your arthritis? Mostly, it's if I'm wearing a sleeveless dress, I get a lot of, is it true you dislocated your shoulder, miss? And then we all have a great time and I dislocate my shoulder and show off and then it hurts for a bit, but it's fine. So that's kind of as deep as they get they're really accepting they just know that my body's a little bit different to theirs and sometimes I'm going to be a little bit grumpy and if you walk into her she will probably cry and that's the the level that they're they're so accepting of it they're brilliant what about telling colleagues I think a lot of young people find it very perplexing when you know at what point should they talk to their employer what are the right words so when did you decide to tell yours and why did you pick that moment 
I imagine this is the same for a lot of jobs, but certainly in mine, you have to fill out like a form for HR with like, do you have any medical information? I just banged it all on there because obviously working in a school, some of the medication I had on me and stuff, we had to be aware of where it was. We had to be aware of where it was locked away. Literally before I started, I submitted all the information and then I went for a meeting with HR on literally my first day. And that was kind of the discussion with the employer. And that was brilliant. The HR department at my school is incredible. And I think she was just fascinated by this. I think she was just perplexed. And I think she remains that because I often forget that she doesn't deal with me on like a day to day basis. So I'll, you know, casually just like, oh, I'll just put my shoulder out. It's fine. Um, And I think she's like, please don't do that. (laughs) So in terms of my employer, open honest as soon as I could be and that just means that it's all out in the open and I'm not waiting for a tense situation to arise before something happens in terms of telling my colleagues I'm quite selective with who I tell what so my colleagues in my department schools are quite departmentalized especially the one that I'm in so I teach English the English department all know that I have a form of arthritis my line manager knows as much as is necessary for her to know and then one of my best friends works with me so she knows everything and everybody else knows kind of what they need to know and the reason for that is I don't want to be Zoe the girl with arthritis and that's something I'm very, very conscious of. I much prefer being known as, you know, the short one or the smiley one or the one with blonde hair, that sort of thing, rather than being, oh, you know, the little one who feels poorly a lot. Uh, But they also know that it's there. Then if I say something like, oh, can you carry this pile of books for me? They know that I'm having a rough day rather than I am just being a bit of a diva. So that's helpful. And they're really good. They ask questions, you know, and I make it very, very clear to anyone that they're welcome to ask me questions and I'm not going to take it offensively. I think that's very, very important and something that I've always been really keen to kind of establish as well. But I think for me, working from home has helped with that because actually people can't see you. So they can't make those snap judgments. Nobody knows when I'm talking on a screen how many hot water bottles are popping me up. So it kind of gives me an out which you don't have and I think lots of jobs including teaching obviously are very high pressure and are accompanied by a lot of quite complex responsibilities so what's that like thinking about all of those and then also having to think about not just arthritis in terms of having it because I'm not sure any of us walk around thinking that every day but in terms of not actively making it worse in a way it's made me so chill about everything because I'm used to having this illness where things are just unpredictable and it might be that I wake up tomorrow and it's not a good day and I may well have planned that lovely active lesson where we're going to make posters but today is not the day and I just retrack and I do something different and that's fine. As a result of that I'm very relaxed at work, I'm very kind of it will get done, it will get done to the highest standard. If you stress about it, you'll spend time stressing about it rather than actually doing it. And I think that is something that I've learned from having arthritis. I was working with a girl about four years ago now who was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And I said to her, look, it's a superpower. If you think about it as all the things that it's taught you, if you think about it as actually 
I'm 25 years old and I know how to do a to-do list really effectively. That's something that a lot of people don't know how to do. And because I think about it as something that I learn from rather than as an inconvenience, it does make my life a lot happier and easier. It is something I consider. Things like at the moment, we are luckily going back into our classrooms in the next few months, hopefully, and I'm moving classrooms. I have to pace myself with that. I can't just come in for a day and do it all, whether or not that suits everybody. Um, that will not be happening in my case. And I'm very, very confident. I'm very, very strong in that because I have made that mistake before and it floored me. And I will not be being floored on my holidays. Thank you very much. I will be going out and having fun. Does it get any easier the more you do it? Teaching? No, because it's crazy. It just becomes a part of your life. It becomes a part of what you do, you know, teaching itself. Firstly, being in a school for a number of years, you naturally build up a respect and that's the same anywhere you know you're not the new girl who's ill you're now Zoe and isn't it amazing she does all of this oh and did you know you just find your feet and you find who you are and that makes life a whole lot easier you're in a public facing role there's there's kind of no getting away from that as a teacher and you have to be on it full pelt five days a week no let up and you have this unpredictable condition. You're very good and experienced at managing that and you've given us a lot of examples of how you do that, but how did you broach this with the person who's employing you? And how did you almost convince them that you were a safe risk to take? In terms of the interview, it should be anonymous, but there is always a form um, on the back that says, you know, do you consider yourself like disabled or not disabled and it gives you kind of the definition that they're working with I always say that I consider myself disabled it's not something that I consider as a negative I present myself as myself I don't kind of walk into an interview saying hi I'm Zoe and these are all the reasons why you shouldn't employ me it's very much you've seen these good qualities you've seen this experience when I start the job by the way this is a factor but by that point, they know what I've done previously. They know I've worked around it. So actually, I was a safe choice because of who I am, not because of my illness. I'm not someone who is hospitalised generally, touch wood. I'm not someone who tends to have a lot of time off. But at the end of the day, we do have the legal right to, and the human right, to do what we want to do with our lives. And it might be that things need to be adapted but employers are aware of that. Employers know that that exists. So they're very, very open to those discussions, generally, in my opinion, as long as you're honest from day one. So that, I think, is one of the biggest fears that we all face, is when things crop up and you can't avoid having time off or missing something that you know you really shouldn't be missing, but you don't have a choice because that's when your appointment is. What do you think is the best way to tackle that with work and the people you work with it was something that I was incredibly anxious about when I started at my new job so when I went for a meeting at the bottom of my risk assessment I just had it like noted that I do have appointments that sometimes you know this consultant is 75 and he only works three hours a week so 
if that's a bit unavoidable. My medical care, I have near home rather than near work. So there is quite often like a half hour journey there and back. I'm completely honest, as soon as I get a letter from the NHS that says you have this meeting or whatever, and I have to go to it, I get my leave of absence in. If I'm feeling nervous about that appointment or I think it's going to run for a really long time, I'm really honest about that. It's just open and honest with the right people, I would say. Not everybody has to know where you are. Yeah, I mean, it's standard fare now, which is really convenient when I go off and do something that's not arthritis related, is where's Zoe? Oh, she's at an appointment. And that's quite commonly used. But actually, if someone approached me and I'd asked where Joe Bloggs was and they said at an appointment... They're not going to assume anything, especially being my age and female. Most people assume I'm pregnant before anything else, which is always a bit awkward. Have you ever experienced like a really bad feel like you've been hit by a bus flare in the middle of term time? Yep. (laughs) What did you do? (laughs) I had a couple of days off, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, it's very sensible. Uh, Yeah, I tend to get them about once a year. I kind of have like little flares where I'm in pain and everybody knows I'm in pain and maybe don't talk to me if I'm looking a little bit like I'm breathing through something but we're all fine and because people see me do that when I'm off it's bad and they know it's bad so again it's just openness and honesty I think as well I I don't know if I am in more pain when I experience something quite difficult or emotional or if I just lose the ability to deal with it. Um, But for example, I unfortunately lost my grandma in December and that triggered a flare. And when I rang in and was like, look, I'm not coming in. This is why everyone was totally okay with it. So again, because I've been so honest about it and because they can see the patterns of, oh, she was upset that day and the next day her hips hurt. That's interesting. So the school are obviously quite supportive if you're having a bad day. Um, Are there any sort of everyday practical type solutions that they have put into place themselves to help you oh my gosh there's so many they've been amazing since day one um so I don't do break time duties and lunchtime duties and things like that and I our school requires that you walk your children out at the end of the day I don't do that and that's just absorbed by other staff around me and because everyone knows why nobody moans nobody minds but I also have you know a number of practical solutions just things like I have a wrist guard it's in my risk assessment that if I need to teach sitting down that is what I will be doing with moving classroom to classroom if I haven't turned up somewhere, the chances are I'm just taking my time or I've had to walk to the lift in the terribly designed building. Um, and, you know, they'll just line my kids up for me and it's it's never a bother. About three months in to my new job, I just asked HR to make senior leadership aware um, because I'd had a situation where we'd been in assembly and they'd asked me to go up a flight of stairs in front of 200 children and I couldn't do it and I wanted to die. Well, apart from that, slight stare awkwardness it sounds like you've really fallen on your feet oh absolutely yeah no they're amazing but I know that that's not necessarily a given and it can be an awkward situation for a lot of people yeah um so I'm sure that the listeners really would love to know how you went about asking for support in the first place how did you kind of approach those conversations about what it was that you needed to make your life easier I started my current job when I was sort of 22 23 so I was still quite new to the whole thing but I very much take the attitude that I know my body but they know the situation for example when I started and it was suggested that I wouldn't do duties I was horrified and I was like but of course I will do duties I am a teacher that is what we do and she was like 
but just, you know, half an hour sat at your desk at break time. And I tell you what, the girl was right. I very much just keep it as an open conversation and an open discussion. And as things change, I will email and I'll say, look, this is bothering me. What do you suggest? And because HR do this every day, again, they they just have really practical solutions for things. But if you're finding that you're not getting those solutions offered, I tend to go in and be like, I realise this will be difficult for you because of X, Y, Z. But because of ABC, I feel like I need this. Is there a way that we can talk about it and reach an agreement and reach something that's going to work for both of us? And it's very much being aware that your employer has needs and other people in the building have needs as well as you. Um, So sometimes you are going to have to compromise, but I've never had a compromise that's left me completely dissatisfied. So would you say the more experiences you have, the more confidence you have in in advocating for yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. My first year of teaching made an absolute mess of it all. And from that, I have very much learned. It is an experience-based thing and it is really, really difficult. I'm not belittling anyone who's feeling nervous about it. It is something that's really, really quite intimidating, learning to speak up for yourself. But I think people are so much more open and honest and generous especially when you have an invisible sort of illness to look at me you wouldn't know what I go through on a daily basis but because I'm really honest about it people start to see the signs and they know I'm not taking the mick and it's I keep that in the back of my mind when something's difficult when I'm dreading talking about something I just think but they would rather know now than when it's all gone wrong I think that's a very good mantra And I think sticking to that is something that I really struggle with and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to as well because until you can't cope anymore, you can always tell yourself you can. Was there anything in particular that was kind of a catalyst for you to start building that confidence to voice your needs and to to stick up for yourself, I suppose? Uh, Yeah, I had quite a rough experience at the first school I worked at. It was very much a case of, I wasn't having communication with the right people. Communication was getting very intertangled. Essentially, my employer didn't understand my illness and they didn't make any effort to understand my illness. Um, And that meant that I was put into some really difficult and uncomfortable situations. I mean, at one point someone said to me, oh, but I can reach too far for things. And it's like, you have absolutely no idea what I've go through then clearly and I remember saying but why don't you ask and she was like how do I have that conversation so I was like okay I will have the conversation for you so when I walked into my next employer I was like hi I'm Zoe and these are the 72 things that are wrong with me I mean please take my negative experience and everybody learn from that because that was not a good day <laughs> how did you kind of handle that was there a, a person or or a thing that helped you through that kind of kept you going I cried a lot. I rang my mum. I said things I should not have said. I went round to my friend's house for tea. And I actually didn't talk about it. I didn't talk about what had happened. I made entirely the wrong decision in that I was already leaving. So I just kind of thought, right, well, you have the bare minimum then. Not what I would do now. Not what I would advocate doing now. If it was to happen to me now, I would start by having a conversation with the right people, with you know, HR, human resources. If you have to go to a complaint, go to a complaint. You, I have never had to complain with a decent HR department. It's just never happened. And also kind of 
people around you who understand you and understand your needs speak to them speak to how they learn that about you what they would kind of advise people about you uh, medical professionals they deal with people like me and you every single day so they understand what that feels like i also think people that understand what you're going through are just your friends they they get it and they are people to fall back on for me i pay a private physio and he's amazing and it was him who was like look are you all right and i was like no <laughs> um, and bless him he massaged my calves and fixed me all at the same time so that was lovely it's rough but you you, you have to fall back on yourself when that happens and you have to look at what has happened how do i evaluate it again teaching is heavily unionized i would always advocate that anyone's in a union anyway you don't have to be involved in the political side but if something goes wrong they are there with legal advice and they are there with things that it would be difficult to find otherwise when you're already upset and quite vulnerable in terms of any listeners who are wondering what they can do to self-advocate better what would your advice be like do you have any top tips in terms of building your own confidence and putting yourself out there i keep coming back to it but honesty just you've got to know yourself and what you need you've got to know what you can live with what you need people to know about so for me uh, being a teacher i teach in a lovely school but the building we are in is just appalling in that the meeting rooms are just everywhere so there was one time that we went to a meeting we thought it was in one place and it was actually on the other side of the school but we didn't know it was on the other side of the school so someone was like let's just go and find out if it's on the other side of the school and i wanted to cry <laughs> because it had been a bad day i was in pain and it was actually my very very good friend at work she advocated for me there and actually I know that there are times when I am in pain that I'm vulnerable and that I won't speak out because if I speak I'm going to cry and I don't want to do that so at that point my friends take over it happens very very rarely and there's other times that they try and take over and I'm like I'm fine man leave me alone and I'm really not so for me I know that I need a strong support network I know that I need someone who knows me around me I'm so I'm blessed every single day that I work with she's called Jade she's incredible she's such a good friend I'm blessed that she's in my life and that she fixes things for me at times <laughs> today I walked into the office and I just went everything hurts and I want to cry um, and it wasn't a whinge and it wasn't a moan and I didn't want anything from anybody but because I said that the conversation's open. We could all have a laugh about the fact that everything hurts. and But instantly, a comfortable chair was made available and a cup of tea was offered. Because they know that when I want to cry, you find me food and you find me tea and you find me something comfortable to sit on. And they've got to know that about me by knowing me. It's not a big sit-down conversation. It's not, these are the things that you can do. It's years and years of experience and knowing me. How did you find out what your rights are as an employee? I know you've mentioned the unions. I picked up a lot of information from Arthur's Place just from looking on the website for specific stuff, but also from being on the social group and just knowing conversations that have gone on. Because I was honest from day one, people that didn't know what was available to me all of a sudden had to research. And people that did know were like, oh, did you know that you get X, Y, and Z? But if it's information that's not readily available to you, either go to speak to HR or ask for a referral to occupational health. 
I I always have an oc health appointment at a new job because it's just a third person to look at the situation and say oh okay you've thought of this and you've thought of this but have you thought of this so they're so they're such helpful appointments but again you can ask those questions about actually what is my right here what am I entitled to here and I actually find that 99.9% of the time even if I'm not entitled to something if I'm not comfortable and I'm not healthy I'm not working at my best and my employer knows that so actually they want to fix it as soon as they can anyway. How did it make you feel to ask for help? Because I've kind of been that stubborn person and said I can do it anyway. Do you know what seven days out of ten I probably can do it anyway but those three days do exist so to me it's always important even though it can be quite uncomfortable I know I don't need those things every single day so I can prove to myself on those days that I don't need them every single day but on the days that I do need them I would rather that they were there than to have to struggle through and to have to ask so as humbling as it can be and as difficult as it can be I very much dress it up as I might need this sometimes can we put that in place just in case rather than I need this from you so for me anything to do with mobility aids I really don't like talking about and I really don't like the discussion to this day I haven't ever taught on crutches which was really stupid and I should have done but here we all are again it's knowing my own self and my own kind of ability that actually as a dancer as someone who has been in control of their body my whole life that's not something I'm willing to give up yet. So I substitute it in other ways. How does seeking support and having all those safety nets in place make you a better teacher? It makes me more confident. It takes away the worry of, oh, it's period one now, but what if period five, I can't do this, which is a very real thing and a very real consideration. When I'm planning my days, I'm a better teacher period one, period two than I am period five, because period five, I'd be worrying about stuff. But because I've got it written in my risk assessment that I can sit down if needs be, because I've got that security and that backup, actually, it's built my confidence. And I know that people aren't judging me and my teaching when they see that stuff happen so if someone walks into my classroom and finds me stood on one leg on a chair great but they know that's the same teacher who period five is sat on said chair regretting the standing on the chair in the morning and they know that there's a reason for that they don't just think oh my god she's so lazy period five like and because I've got those safety nets in place mostly because people know but also because the things are there and are available I'm a lot more confident to do what I need to do. And do you think that there is anything employers could be doing to support young adults with chronic illness in their professional lives and to make that transition into the world of work easier? Um, you know, Innocence movies, they've just done a post of a, a series of photos on Instagram which are hilarious but are so important. Um, they've got an employee who has type 1 diabetes and they've bought sharp spins and put them on social media and if you get the chance to see them they're so funny um, but it's also kind of that oh okay you have a need we'll meet that need we'll make it obvious that we're meeting that need that's great because a lot of times I think people don't know what they can ask for because it's also hush hush and it's also secret I work with three other members of staff that I know 
have something that makes teaching challenging for them and one of them was quite young and I was like have you been to HR yet have you been and spoken to them about this and I think because I was there and I was a little bit more experienced and I'm very confident she did it and now her life's a lot easier so it's just having that open dialogue and making sure that people feel valued in spite of their illness so I we have a praise culture at work that's amazing the other day I got an email that was just like oh thanks for all your hard work on this I've seen you doing it with the kids and we really appreciate it what have you they never ever ever say because you have dodgy joints we really appreciate that you put some effort into this because that's not what they mean. Those emails, those messages are so important to me on days when I've been struggling because it's like, we see you, we hear you, we feel what you're going through, we still think you're great. And that can be so helpful. That's a really great thing to hear and an excellent point to finish on. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences today, Zoe. You're very welcome. Thank Um, you for having me. If you've enjoyed hearing from Zoe and would like to discover more about managing work with as a young person with arthritis, go to arthursplace.co.uk where you can check out our carefully curated work survival guide. It's packed with useful information such as expert advice from an employment solicitor plus more real-life experiences and tips from people in our community. The guide also points to a wealth of resources available to help in a variety of circumstances including links to explain what the Equality Act means for you, what reasonable adjustments are, and signposting to services like the UK Government's Access to Work scheme and where to get free legal advice. Other services offering support on the topics raised in this episode that you could tap into are ACAS, the Advisory Conciliation and Arbitration Service, and Citizens Advice. Many thanks to you, Zoe, for your time today. Thank you very much. listening to Arthur's Heroes. For more podcasts, information and access to loads of great content for young adults with arthritis, please visit arthursplace.co.uk. You can also find other young adults to chat to in the Arthur's Place social Facebook group. Follow Arthur's Place on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and find out more about Codeword Pineapple, the pin badge for people with an invisible disability at codewordpineapple.org.uk. Thank you to Novartis UK for their support in the production of this podcast.